Well, your uh, your office looks way cooler than my office does. <laughs> it's uh, it's got some stuff in it, yeah. Yeah, you look like um, you actually use it for a purpose other than just storing things. Well, I mean, I gotta well, store this stuff somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, like, I was just trying to prop up some photos and stuff in the back to block the the mess, and then I went to full screen, and I'm like, oh, you can still see a bunch of junk in the background anyway. Oh well, never mind. So, so we are, you know, I'm already recording. Okay, great. Um, I have no, I have no great, uh, I'm not going to try to do any sort of introduction. We'll come up with something in post after the fact to get things going. Cool. But um, I don't know if you've seen some of the other episodes of the show. Um, that's good. Thank you. It makes me feel good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll basically we, you and I, are, we'll just have a conversation and we'll just talk about about um life and creativity and all of that good stuff so first of all how are how are things going mid zombie apocalypse for you over there it's going okay i i really try to stay busy i get uh i go crazy if i don't have something to work on so right that's, uh, kind of why i have been doing so many projects during the quarantine but um it's it's weird i mean i have good days and bad days i think everybody is kind of going through the same thing we're like you know it's it's tough it's tough to try to balance paying attention to what's going on in the world and then paying attention to yourself and disconnecting from what's going on in the world right right it's it's uh it's weird yeah you do you find yourself i don't know like i know i try to maybe check local news in the morning see where things stand and then just kind of leave it alone after that yeah yeah i i put on like cnn for 15 minutes and then local news for 15 minutes and then i'm burnt out yeah that's, yeah that's all i can take and it's never it's never good news you know so at night i try to watch like the the john krasinski good news show and like yes yes i love that people out there doing like positive stuff like that's i just think that's so important right now for everybody we need yeah we need i to remember see. that humanity is like still good and we're still doing right the best we can, you know? yes and it's far too easy for that message to get lost in the constantly negative grab the eyeballs news cycle, it seems. Yeah. So I did see that the um, some Chinese zoo, a couple of pandas finally managed to have sex that they've been trying to get them to have babies for a while. So that's great. People leave them alone. Yeah, and there you go. Have a, have a little quality time. Yeah, and, and pollution is down around the world. You know, massively. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a silver <laughs> lining to everything. So, as I was kind of getting ready for the show today, I mean, I know a little bit about your 
a little bit about your background, but not a whole lot, but I was looking at like your IMDb page and stuff and I'm like, okay, yes, you've definitely kept yourself busy. Um, yeah. Let's see. It's like seven director credits. You've got as, as with so many independent filmmakers, there's producer, editor, cinematographer, writer, right. sound department, camera, electrical composer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, IMDb is funny like that. Um, I think I first got, I made my first movie in 2016 and first short the same year and put up an IMDb page. And then I started seeing people adding me to things I had done five years before that. Oh, okay. That popped up on IMDb. He did the music for this TV pilot we did. Let's put him up. It's, I didn't right. add all those things. I just saw them. I was like, huh, right. I guess I did do that, but not it's really funny and then somebody just put up an imdb page for the uh back to the future remake which is hilarious because nice <laughs> that's not a real movie it is now it is now imdb says it is so yeah. there you go <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and you so if you can like Cause I only, like I said, I only know a little bit of your background, a little bit of your story. Can you back up to like before you came to Bend and what got you started in this weird, wacky world of filmmaking and all that stuff? Sure. My, the earliest traces of it were in high school. I, I went to high school at McKenzie high school, which is between here in Bend and Eugene, Oregon on the McKenzie okay. river. All right. Tiny, tiny. I was going to say that's a teeny, tiny little place, right? Yeah. And there's one high school for probably 75 miles and everybody buses in. It's like an hour long bus ride in the morning and in the afternoon. And um, there were 16 people in my graduating class just <laughs> to paint the picture. But um, the school had a VHS camcorder that you could borrow and I was pretty much the president and all of the people in the AV club at the time. <laughs> you know, I was the kid who set up the, wheeled in the VCR and set up the TV and did all that. Right, right. Classrooms. Um, and at some point in high school, I figured out that because I could kind of edit videos, I could shoot it. And then I figured out how to hook two VCRs together. Right. And you and play start one, one and you yeah. record on the other and stop at just the right second. Oh yeah, and you could hook your Walkman in to the audio in and put music to it. Oh is, wow, that's next level. That yeah, was... yeah. But I figured out that you could convince some of the teachers to let you do video projects instead of a book report or a report on you oh, know, wow. Egypt or something. So I started doing videos for all of my projects because I didn't actually have to read the book or learn anything. If you made a three minute video, people were like, wow, look what you did. So I'd get good grades. And that was the first experience I had with video editing and, you know, filming and all that. And I think because it was before YouTube and before you know, there was no manual for how to do that, you just trial and error to VCRs. And there was no real internet for me to ask people right. how are you editing your videos and what are you doing? So you just sort of figure it out. And then, I didn't really go to college for it or anything. I went to school for graphic design and worked oh. in 
in advertising and flash animation for the first several years of my uh, business life career, whatever right. you want to call it. Post, post school yeah. existence. Um, so yeah, flash those websites that had the intro, the flash intro, and you had to click skip. I, I did a lot of those. <laughs> um, and then in 2010, <clears throat> nine or 10, Apple killed flash. Um, and I was out of a job and just right around that same time, like the DSLR cameras were getting good and you could shoot video on like a Canon 5D that looked pretty cool. Yeah. And all along the way, because I was a musician and playing in bands and trying to make our own music videos and things, I was keeping up with video editing and Premiere and, you know, I had a, like a handy cam that had a firewire you could plug into the computer or whatever. Right. But when Flash died, I just started doing more video stuff and trying to figure out if I could make a living doing that and uh, started doing music videos for my friends' bands for a couple hundred dollars. And uh -huh. then somebody from a band worked at a business that needed a commercial and it kind of just grew. And I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And there's a lot of organizations and a lot of political things and a lot of real estate and weddings and just things that needed videos. Right. And so over the course of like 2010 to 2015, I grew from one or two music videos a year to doing video full time and making pretty good money. And I built a, a business out of that. And nice. um, we, my wife and I got pretty sick of Washington DC and the traffic and the craziness and the, fast pace, high energy. Everybody's got to be go, go, go all the time. Um, and we wanted to move back to Oregon. Uh, she grew up in Eugene and I okay. went to the U of O and we had lived in Eugene and Portland before DC. And so what we did is we, uh, we did like a pros and cons list and we thought, well, we want to move back to Oregon cause we have family there and it's great, but the rain sucks. And Portland kind of sucks and uh, we'd only just been to Bend a couple of times, you know, to visit, but we thought, well, Bend seems kind of cool and the weather is a lot more bearable for us at least, just the lack of rain and it gets snow and it's, you know, sunny 300 something days of the year. So Bend won over a bunch of other cities on our pros and right. cons list. And we just moved out here uh, five years ago now. And uh, what happened then is all that work I had been doing for these big organizations, <clears throat> all these weddings and real estate things, Ben doesn't have nearly as much of that as Washington DC does. Right, right. And I didn't have any connections. I reached out to all the existing film companies and media companies in Bend and they were all like, we have plenty of help. Don't move to Bend. We don't need you. We don't need more people coming to Bend. Very common. And uh, so I had no connections and no work really. I was doing some editing work for companies back in DC. But um, what I found is I had a whole bunch of free time and I had a little bit of savings. So what I did is I started 
figuring out how to make documentaries and short films and just scratching the creative itch and doing, you know, whatever I could to stay busy. And since then, I'm three feature films and seven shorts. And wow. <laughs> now I'm making a living full time off of the movies I've made. So it's been a long transition, but <clears throat> that's kind of how I got to where I am. Okay. And now that <clears throat> that's a question I always wonder about. I mean, being involved with the Ben Film Fest, I meet extraordinary filmmakers that have incredible films of all colors and stripes and shapes and sizes. And I always wonder, like, how do you actually make a living in the world of independent filmmaking? I think very few people do make a living only from films. A lot of us, and I still do, you know, some commercial work when it pops up and some editing for past clients. I have clients that I've worked with since, you know, for a decade probably, and they'll still send me, you know, some commercial they need edited. Here's our raw footage, you know, make it. And that's great. And that does help pay the bills. But, um, for me, the only way to make money as an independent filmmaker was, um, and I, it's been a long process trying to figure this out. And right. only just now, right? Actually, got it going. But I own all the content I've made, and my first two features, uh, I sell DVDs out of my garage. I ship them. I sell T-shirts, posters, <clears throat> uh, VHS copies whatever and then i also have them up on amazon to rent and vimeo to rent and it's just a, it's a constant hustle i'm always right. advertising and social media and you know come out with a new product because everybody already has the movie but maybe i can sell them a skateboard or an action figure whatever the thing is but that that i think came out of playing in bands for years and we would make our own t-shirts and our own CDs and sell them out of the trunk of a car. Right. You sell merch and exactly do your thing. So it's mostly right now, um, I'm making almost a hundred percent of my income from my first two movies that are out and just promoting shipping orders out of my garage and doing that every day. Wow. Wow. I'm that it keeps up, but I got to get right. another movie out. You know, I've got one that was supposed to be out right now that's on right. hold, but that's kind of the thing and keep putting out content and some of it makes some money, some of it doesn't, but it all kind of builds the brand. Right. Right. No. So for context, people that may watch this later, we're sitting here April 12th. Easter Sunday, um, 2020, right in the middle of everything being shut down for the pandemic. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Do you, are you seeing an uptick in viewer viewership of your products, viewership of your films? Is all of that yeah. increasing as everyone is stuck at home? Yeah. And, you know, I had film shoots scheduled and those have all been canceled and we had our premiere for the other movie scheduled and that's been postponed and all that is a huge bummer. But at the same time, 
so many more people are at home thirsty for content and maybe they've seen every episode of the office so many times that something different. And so I think right now, at least for me, in my experience, you know, independent films are seeing a little boost in viewership because people have seen everything else on Netflix now. So uh, yeah, March was the best month for my last movie on Amazon prime ever. And that's, I, we didn't do any more advertising. We didn't do anything different. It's just people are stuck at home and I think they want something different. And, and everything I make is kind of an uplifting positive, right? You know, it's they're documentaries, but they're not political or hard hitting or uh, they're nostalgic. Feel good. Right. 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 And I I mean, you think that helps. You're the one, the one that, I know of most recently is Ska, your documentary about Ska in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, Pick It Up, is that what it's called? <clears throat> and then what what and then the one that's the one that has been delayed is your documentary about the last blockbuster here in Bend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which you're I think I think still planning on a July, like July 15th or something release for that, like a yeah. big yeah, we were scheduled to premiere at the Tower Theater on May 8th, and May was canceled. Just May, yes. May has been canceled. Uh, now we've pushed it to July 17th, and we do have tickets on sale, but I, I give it a 50-50. Right. I honestly don't know, but we've got to move forward as if life is going to move on. Right. In my opinion, yeah. yeah, just plan for the best, and if it doesn't happen – We'll figure it out when it doesn't happen. Well, and I'm sure part of your thought process has to be that, hey, when everybody comes out of this, all of these, <laughs> like you said, you can only watch The Office so many times. You can only watch Tiger King so many times, God forbid. <laughs> um, when everyone comes out of this pandemic crisis, everything will have been consumed like at least three times. Yeah. And there will be this huge hunger for new material. That's got to be part of your calculus of like, you yeah. need to get this thing out in the world. And are you trying to, I don't know, sell it to, to Netflix or something like that? Yeah. We're just getting our, everything buttoned up so that it's all packaged and ready to shop around. But I think, yeah, definitely. I think now more than ever, it's a positive, uplifting, nostalgic, story about community and people and i think people need that stuff and also hollywood's been shut down for a month and a half now so there's about to be a huge gap in content right right there things are going to come out that were already finished when this started like you're seeing the major hollywood movies going straight to on demand right now and that's, right that's cool and i'm glad they're doing that but I, I do worry about what that means for movie theaters and yeah, and that communal experience that right for right. me as a filmmaker, that's the most important part. That's the best part is when you make a movie and then you get to see it in a theater full of people and everybody right. shares that experience and then y'all talk about it. So I worry that that's going to be kind of tainted by this, like people, for a long time, aren't going to want to gather in theaters. Mm. 
So that's a right. That's a yeah, that's a very real possible ripple effect of of everything that's happened. Yeah, and, so we're definitely looking at the Netflix about. and Hulu and right. Amazon and all those places because you know people aren't afraid <laughs> to watch things at their right their house. Right. So how long is your wife also in filmmaking and film production as well? Not at all. Okay. Polar opposites. <laughs> she she actually works in healthcare policy research. Wow. Okay. A company in Washington, D.C., and she's been working remotely for five years. So in, in our house, things haven't really changed because we both work from home already. <laughs> right. Only difference is we can't go and do the things that helped us feel normal. You know, when you work yeah. at home, you make a point of leaving the house at least once a day and interacting with people as much as you can. I actually love all these Zoom meetings that are popping up now because it's interaction. Yeah. You know, yeah. Having coffee with people and talking about movies and yep. making grandiose plans for the future. But otherwise things are kind of the same for us here. Um, right now I can't really go outside because of allergies on top <laughs> of everything else. So even so, the dog walks that were keeping me going are going away. And so every time you cough or sneeze, everyone runs for the hills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one way to keep people at a distance, I guess. Yeah. Just sort of have a dry cough and they're going to stay far away. Yeah. I've, I've thought about, you know, if I have to go to the grocery store or something, uh, wearing like this stormtrooper mask or the Boba Fett, because it uh, nice. really gets the point across that I'm right. taking it seriously. Right. <laughs> I think the stormtrooper masks, aren't they designed to filter out uh, contaminants? Definitely. So. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> so how did you and your wife, or how long have you and your wife been together, first of all? We met in college. Um in 2001, we met right after 9-11 okay. and have been together ever since. Back at so, U of O, I guess? Yeah, so almost 20 years. Wow, good for we've you. We've been married for, uh, I usually don't get this right, almost 13 years. Okay. So. And was, you know, at the, it sounds like you were able to kind of hit the ground running after college with with film or you were you said you were working in like flash media and and mm -hmm. graphic design that kind of thing yeah and i did web design back when you had to you right know, we didn't have templates and things and you had to like type html code right yeah so yeah, yeah i was one of those guys and so when you were like honey i'm gonna switch over and become a filmmaker was that <laughs> Was that like, was that a hard conversation? Was she like, okay, good luck? Yeah, it, it was, because it, it had always been a hobby. Right. You know, something I did on the side as part of music or as part of, you know, I would try to incorporate video into Flash websites sometimes. So I was always trying to play with it, but never figured out how to make any money with it. But I'd always right. been self-employed, you know, an independent contractor. Uh -huh. so I had yeah. that experience as far as 
sending invoices and working with clients and things like right, that. Right. Um, but no, she, she gave me a year. She said, you can, you know, my job is fine. So you take a year and try to figure this thing out. And if you can make, you know, the first year is a freebie, but the second year you got to make, you know, X amount of dollars. I think at right. the time it was like, you got to figure out how to make 30 grand or something in a year, uh, which is not as much as a, any regular job, but it's enough. And in DC, especially that's the bare right. minimum cost of living is pretty high. And I think I made 33 grand the next year. <laughs> You're like just <laughs> barely eking over the bar there. Just barely. But I mean, she was very understanding, but she did give me those parameters of like, try it for a year. I know it takes time to get a business off the ground and then sink or swim. And right. I've been treading water ever since. <laughs> Keeping your head just above, just above the surface. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's, it's, you know, part of what fascinates me is trying to understand, I mean, this is obviously, obviously you've been artistic your entire life. You've been involved with music, filmmaking, graphic design. That's always been a part of your life. Mm -hmm. And then you're going on what, how many years now that you've been self-employed as a filmmaker of one form or another? Almost a decade of calling myself a filmmaker. Right. But, you know, 20 years of being self-employed. Yeah. And is that, I mean, to be able to pursue that professionally, make a living doing that, that has to just, that has to feel really good, even though I'm sure they're, it brings with it just like any job really nowadays, but it brings with it plenty of challenges and stresses and that sort of thing. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of challenges and stresses and, and there's a lot to the business side of it that I can't stand. You know, there's way more spreadsheets and documents and forms to fill out and all these things that I didn't sign up for. But, um, <laughs> No, almost every day I just consider myself so lucky to be doing what I do and to be able to make a living as a filmmaker. It's right. it's hard, especially as an independent filmmaker working outside of any kind of established system. Right. There's no, you know, every project, when I finish it, my full-time job becomes figuring out what the next project is. Right. Finding work. And I've been very lucky that there's been some steady work here and there from, you know, you put a movie out and all of a sudden the people you used to work with remember, oh, that guy does movies. Let's hire him <laughs> for a commercial or something. So I haven't had to look for work as much as I used to. Um, and I think that's a very scary thing too, putting all my eggs into the independent documentary basket was maybe not the best idea, but right. so far it's kind of working out. When you, when you guys were thinking about leaving DC, did you talk at all about like, should we try, you know, Hollywood? Like, should we go shoot for the big brass ring or was right. that, 
were you no. just did you just know that that wasn't a direction you wanted to go i've spent enough time in la to know that i never want to live in la yeah. um but at that time i wasn't making films i was doing weddings and real estate and corporate videos right and so the last place i wanted to be is a town where everybody's got a really nice camera and right. as a professional filmmaker with a side hustle right i wanted I, I mean, I don't know what I wanted. I thought Bend would have more of that kind of work, but mm. it seemed to be, like I said, a little bit of a closed circle, hard to break into. There were plenty of wedding videographers and real estate photographers and people here already. So, um, you know, coming here was uh, honestly kind of a letdown when I first got here. And I spent, oh, really? I've spent like six months wondering if we had made the right decision. I had no work. I was, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And that's what led to me trying to do my first feature documentary was I had all this time and all this video equipment and right. nothing to do. So was the, I, was that lucky. first documentary that you made here? Was that the ska documentary? No. Now this was in 2016. This was a, a feature film about a one-hit wonder band from the 90s called The Refreshments. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Here's to Life. Yeah. Yeah, it was called Here's to Life. And that was a huge learning experience. Like that was just me figuring out how to go from corporate videos to feature documentaries. But a lot of the same, you know sit down interviews and filming and cool B-roll and all that, but it's a totally different business proposition. I had to figure out how to raise money on Kickstarter and how to spend that money and make a film. And then, Oh, there's legal hurdles and you actually have to clear everything and uh -huh. you can release it, but you can't, there's all these different things. And at the time you couldn't just put a movie up on Amazon prime or, you know, Netflix or anything. So when I put the movie out, it, it did well at film festivals and I sold a lot of DVDs, but it still kind of felt like a failure because I couldn't get, you know, a real distribution. Oh, okay. In hindsight, that was the best thing because that movie is still making me a little bit of money here and there and I own it and right. I can still sell it or license it or do whatever I want with it. Whereas if I had signed a distribution deal at the time, uh, I still wouldn't have the rights back. You know, those are five to seven to 10 year deals usually. And I, I'm just glad that it didn't work out the way I had hoped because what I learned from that is that if you keep the rights and you own your own content, then you can do kind of whatever you want. You know, I'm, Right now, like the Ska documentary, I'm able to give away copies right now to people who are, you know, bored and worried about money and they want to watch something fun. I'm like, sure, here, have it. But if it was, you know, owned by a distributor, I can't do that. Right. Also, I can make T-shirts and lunch boxes and do whatever, whatever I want. And we had a huge theatrical run with that. We were in 60 theaters in eight countries or something. And that's not something that a film distributor would 
put the time and effort into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I don't like the idea of somebody else having control over something that I spent three years making. Right. Yeah. But I thought originally that that was the goal is to make it and then sell it to somebody. So, and that's not to say I wouldn't take a nice big check from Netflix for the blockbuster documentary. That'd be (laughs) fantastic. (laughs) But now you know a lot more and you would probably hopefully come away with a better, better deal or, or would just the big check be, be satisfaction enough? (laughs) We'll see. I mean, the more interaction I have with, the actual Hollywood system and the actual, you know, mechanics of them churning out things and scooping up independent things and all the people in the real system that I end up having to work with one way or another, I, the less I'm interested in it. It's, it doesn't appeal to me that system. You know, people say, Oh, you've done this big thing. You got this documentary. It's got these famous celebrities in it and you're going to Oh, what's the next one? You're going to, work for a studio or something. I'm like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not interesting. Right. Now that's failure to you. Like that would be, well, it, or it's not where you want to be at least. It's not the way I want to do it. Okay. I'm much happier finishing something. And then if somebody wants to buy it, that's great. But if you make it in the studio system or with other people, then you got to do it their way. That's, right. But, you know, if they need somebody to, to make a new Marvel movie or something, I'm here. Right. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you, you know, twist your arm. You'll, sure. you'll take that project on. Yeah, you know, if somebody uh, needs to do an episode for season two of The Mandalorian, I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> Just, we'll make sure to put contact information yeah. at the end of the... <laughs> make sure that... You they that you can be reached when yeah. they when they want to get you in on the next season of The Mandalorian. Yeah, the folks in Hollywood love it when you complain about their way of doing things for twenty minutes and then ask for work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that goes over really well. Yeah, <laughs> but I I think because of what's happening right now, because of this lockdown and Hollywood being shut down there's a potential for kind of a golden age for independent content. Right. And independent filmmakers who maybe were less impacted. You know, we're all for the first time ever, we're able to apply for unemployment as independent contractors. So you could keep your little small business afloat, finish that project that's been in post for years. And then, you know, when, all the studios don't have any new content because they were shut down. Maybe we can flood the market with interesting independent films. And that would be, I think that would just be an incredible outcome of all of this. If that's a possibility. Right. Was that, did that sort of play out with the writer strike back in the day as well? Yes. Yes. And that's the closest comparable situation I can think of. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, wasn't there a baseball strike at some point? And there was probably a huge up, up swing in Little League games or something. <laughs> but I'm yeah, sure. the, the writer's strike 
affected Hollywood the most of anything we've seen in recent years. And it killed TV shows and movies and projects. But I don't think that opened the door for independent films in the way that this might. That just kind of delayed everything. Right. Because it was a different time. We didn't have the direct platforms. You know, you couldn't, right now as an independent filmmaker, anybody can put a movie up on Amazon Prime and with the right advertising, it can be right there featured when people are browsing for movies. And so that's never been the case before. Right. There was always the distributor middleman or the studio middleman. And um, I just think now there's so many more ways for you to get your content out there, you know, on YouTube or Vimeo or all these little, you know, uh, streaming platforms that are specific. There's like horror ones and sci-fi ones that if you make something that's for a specific audience, they're going to be able to find it. And that wasn't the case even five, 10 years ago. Hmm. So, I mean, it seems the, the, the impression, it sounds to me, it seems that you have a real sense of optimism of kind of what, what could come out of all of this. I, I do. And I don't, like I said, I got good days and bad days. I, right. I'm optimistic that there's an opportunity here for people like me to keep going through this and see a light at the end of the tunnel and weather the storm. And a lot of that comes from seeing more people renting my movies that are already out and seeing, you know, the success of our little back to the future project, things like that, that have um, just given me a little bit of hope. But at the same time, I'm terrified that movie theaters aren't going to exist when we come out of this mm. and that it will be relocated to just watching things at home streaming. And, um, you know, they just launched Quibi, which is content just on your phone. You can't watch it on a TV. And oh, I didn't know. I knew it was like a 10 minute time limit. I didn't know. Yeah. About the yeah and it's limitation. Everything that's on it is watchable horizontally and vertically. So it's designed for phones and short attention spans. And it's like, man, if, if that takes off and everybody starts shooting all their movies vertically and horizontally and the theaters are gone and everybody's watching on their phones while they're taking a dump, I, I think that's maybe the worst case scenario for right. film. Right. Right. It, it, yeah, it cheapens the, cheapens the medium. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy to spend, you know, years and years making a film and then think somebody's just going to watch it on their phone and while they're doing other things, or even when somebody watches something on Netflix, so many people have their phone up, they're texting people, they're, you know, playing words with friends or whatever they're doing. (laughs) And the, the movie is just in the background now. And that never used to be the case. Mm. that's something we get into in the blockbuster doc um, is that movies used to be more of an event even at home 
because right. you have to go and drive to a place, pick out a thing, you hold it in your hand, you take it home, you got to put it in a machine, you know, you pop your popcorn, and you sat and you watched a movie. And now right. it's just a lot of people also watch a movie while they're doing other things. And you can, because there's so many freely available, if the movie's not good in five minutes, you turn it off and watch a different one. And there's a lot of movies right. that don't get good until 20 minutes in that people won't see. So it's all just different. Right. I don't know if it's better or worse, but I, I just sound like a, an old person complaining about <laughs> ah, these kids. Uh, back in the old good old days. Yeah. <laughs> the good old days of VHS and yeah. Be Kind Rewind. Wow. Yes. I remember those days. <laughs> So what I know, I know you've got some thoughts in mind for where to go next. I mean, in talking with, you know, our shared friend with Falk that sounds like you guys have plans and thoughts and, and ideas and discussion. Mm -hmm. um, is that, uh, is that where your focus goes to next? I, yeah, I mean, we were, when all this shut down and everything happened, we were in the process of working on a pilot um, for a series that we could film in Bend with local actors and with the resources we have here. Um, and because of kind of the wilderness and the way things look around here, we figured a Western was probably our best shot. Um, but we had... We still have, I guess, most of the script for a pilot and we're trying to make it. We had a casting call scheduled and that was canceled. Right. And we're, we're trying, I'm always trying to make stuff. You know, I don't like sitting around idly and waiting for other people to give me permission, really. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is why I end up making independent stuff and not you know, asking for financing and trying to make, you know, a million dollar feature because I don't have the patience to wait two years to raise a million dollars. Right. It's not impossible. It's just not how I want to spend two years of my life. So, so we had talked about doing something on a smaller scale here, probably, you know, web series or, you know, 10 to 20 minute episodes, maybe something for Quibi until I found out that you had to shoot it vertically and horizontally. That drives me nuts. But <laughs> those platforms exist. And that's, I, I don't know. We, we were trying to make something and now we're, we're not reconsidering. It's just on hold. Right. Right. Who knows when we'll be able to put two actors in the same scene again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and uh, do you and your like do you sit down with your do you, do you have kids no no you don't have kids okay kids. do you and your wife talk about like you're like no no this you know as long as i can i'm gonna stay in this and do everything i can to make this work we, we talk about how that could play out yeah, we talk about it a lot. I mean, I would say two, three months out of the year for the past five years, 
I have looked at regular job postings and considered, you know, what is what would it be like if I was a, a manager at Best Buy or, uh, you know, sold cell phones or whatever the thing is that I maybe would be qualified for. Although with no experience in any field for the past 20 years, I don't know what kind of job I could get. Um, but yeah, it comes up. It comes up all the time. Um, because until I had put the Scott documentary out last year, I was going on 18 months of no income. You know, we had done a Kickstarter, we had raised the money and we had almost finished the movie, but until you put a movie out, there's no return. You know, you can't, you can't get an advance on that future sales in any real tangible way. So, the way at least my career works, I'll make whatever money I'm going to make. And then I have to live off of that savings until the next wave of money comes in. Right. It's always scary right before you start making money. And like the blockbuster doc, we're in the hole a lot. It's we uh, we're very thankful that some of the people we've worked with have allowed us to not pay them back until the movie is released. Um, Mm -hmm. But if that weren't the case, you know, we'd be <laughs> we're losing a lot of money making this thing. So it's fortunate that I have stuff out that's making money while I've finished this other one. But otherwise, you're just waiting yeah. for the next thing to be done so you can get it in a theater, so you can sell those tickets and make whatever money you're going to make. Right. It's not like every two weeks I get a paycheck. It's right. It's it's uh, you know, good months and bad months, fits and spurts, comes right. in little waves, sometimes big waves. But every everything you've said makes it sound like like what you know. Once we can get through this this temporary craziness of you know self-quarantining or, or locking ourselves in our houses, however you want to describe it. Um, it sounds like the, the, the formats, the, the possible directions you could take a project, all the places you could get, get a film out into the world and have it generate some sort of income. It seems, it sounds like that's just growing. Yeah, it's or it was more, you know, every project I do, I learn something new, you know, on my first movie, I didn't know about these self distribution methods and, and I was trying to get it out to a distributor and the distributors didn't want it. And so I figured it was a failure. And right. In hindsight, that movie has made me, you know, upwards of $30,000, which for an independent film is a lot. Right. I had given it to a distributor. I might've gotten five or $10,000 up front and I never would have seen a royalty check because it never would have cleared their marketing caps and whatever right. creative bookkeeping they do. So <laughs> I've learned a lot on three feature films now, but just as fast as I can learn things, they change. Right. So Two years ago, Netflix was buying independent 
films a lot more than they are now. And there wasn't Disney Plus and there wasn't Apple Plus and Facebook Watch and all these things that are brand new that it's kind of like the Wild West. I don't know what the best platform is. I don't know what this platform is paying for a movie versus this other platform. Right, right. It's hard to keep up. Yeah. I know you can always sell DVDs out of the trunk of your car, but that gets more and more difficult (laughs) as all people are shying away from physical media more and more. And so it's hard. I've, I've found that, you know, selling something like a, a VHS tape as a novelty is sometimes easier than selling a Blu-ray because nobody, you know, Blu-ray is kind of the same as streaming, but, but a VHS is funny. So, right. There's a cachet to it. Yeah. Kind of like listening to music on vinyl, I guess. Exactly. Vinyl outsold CDs for the past two years. Yeah. Um, which is, I think that's great because it gives music just like movies. It gives it a tangible physical thing and vinyl is great because it's huge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this, this thing. And I feel the same way about VHS. I wish I could figure out how to put my movies on laser disc because they're huge. I was just going to ask. It's made me think about, I remember those giant, they were huge, giant laser discs. Yeah. And the players were incredibly huge. Yeah. They would take like to, the entire top of the TV. Mm-hmm. You'd have to flip them over halfway through. They couldn't fit a whole movie on one I side. I forgot of about that. So laser disc movies have an intermission. <laughs> oh my God. Crazy. And I assume, are you a big vinyl guy as well? Do you love actual yeah. records? I love records. I love VHS tapes and DVDs. I don't have any CDs anymore. I got rid of them all when MP3s came out. Yeah. And then now I'm just, you know, rebuying all my favorite albums for the fifth time on vinyl. <laughs> it's it's a, a nasty habit, but. Right. I think it's fun because I think the deliberate, you know, the effort you have to put in right. to listen to something, you can't just say, you know, okay, Google play whatever album. Right. You have to go yeah. and pick it out, take it out, get the dust off of it, put it on the thing, put the Clean. needle. Yeah. Right. My Google is asking what I wanted to listen to. You're like, shut up, Google. I'm not talking not, to you. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. <laughs> That's yeah, great. I think the, the same thing is true for movies. Like when you have to go through effort, to watch a movie or listen to a record, you appreciate it more. Right. And you, you put more of your focus on it. You know, if I've gone to all the trouble to put the record on, it's not background music. It's what I'm doing is listening to that record. Listening to the album. Exactly. Yeah, exactly what you were talking about, about going to making the effort to go to Blockbuster. Mm-hmm look at all the racks of movies, pick something out. You know that you're going to spend your evening watching that movie. 
Yeah. And the same with albums on vinyl and that you are, you have to sort through and find the album and decide which one you want to listen to and clean it. And yep. And that's the thing I miss the most right now about being stuck at home is going to the movie theater because for me, you know, I'm just as bad as other people. I'll look at my phone while I watch a movie at home, but at the movies, it's still like a sacred thing and you don't text while you're at the movies. And I appreciate the, the two hours when no one, no one can reach me. You know, there's right. no, no right. urgency. I don't have to answer any messages. I don't have to check the Instagram feed or the Facebook thing. How's the, how many views does this thing have going now? Should I, whatever because you're just in a theater with a movie and maybe some popcorn and that's it. And that's rare right now. Right. I'm really, really hoping the movie theaters can weather this. Right. And that people, I mean, maybe we'll see people appreciating the movie theater because they missed it. Maybe we'll come out of this and they'll be doing better than ever. But who knows? I've seen a few places where they brought back drive-in theaters because you can, you know, social distance and be at a drive-in theater. Right. Everybody's in their own cars. But it's still a shared communal mm-hmm. focused experience on watching a film. Yes. Which we did that with the, the Back to the Future 2 remake project that we did that you did a fantastic scene for. <laughs> um, but we had a, a live YouTube premiere and there were 325 people in the chat room from all over the world watching it at the same time and yeah. enjoying it. And it almost felt like that communal movie theater experience. And so that was kind of the coolest thing that came out of that was just seeing people have this shared thing. And I wish we could have done it in a theater and had everybody have a big party afterwards. Right. Just food and drink and having fun. But I think we're making the best of the situation. We can still interact. How long, how long into the shutdown were we when you were like, you know, we should do this thing. (laughs) Well, um, I was quarantined a little bit earlier than most people. My wife had a fever and a a bit of a cough and all the symptoms. And this was the very beginning of March. Um, Okay. And so we went, took her to urgent care and we didn't have any tests. We don't have any tests still for COVID-19, but they gave her a flu test, which was negative. And so they said, you have to assume you have it and act as though you do because we can't tell you it doesn't matter we're young and healthy you'll be fine but you can't go anywhere you can't interact with people so by the time bend was shut down we were already on like day 10 or something oh wow okay so it only took a few days into the actual shutdown for me to get stir crazy and (laughs) want to do something and i was talking to uh jesse Locke, who yeah also another filmmaker who did a scene for the back to the future thing and we were trying to figure out things we could do to work together to make something bigger than what we would make on our own. And uh, 
I knew about the Star Wars fan remake and there's a Shrek one, and I think a RoboCop one. And uh, I did not know if anyone had done Back to the Future yet. So I figured, wouldn't it be interesting to see if people would be more creative with these limitations of not only do we have no budget, but you can't go anywhere and you can't like <laughs> bring actors in who are never been done before, right? This situation, it's unique. So I thought Back to the Future 2 would be very fitting. It's my favorite. And uh, it's got that alternate 1985 where Donald Trump is president or whatever's going on there. And, right, uh, right. It just—it seemed like if we're going to talk about being in the darkest timeline and everything that's going on, it's a fitting movie. It's also a very, very silly movie with a lot of different things. So I thought it'd be neat to see what all these people come up with. So let's do it. And I think that phone call I had with Jesse was at like noon. And by five o'clock that day, I had the website up. I had the movie split into 88 scenes and I was taking requests <clears throat> for scenes. <laughs> well, and so in the same day you had the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and it's so, like you said, you're like, you don't like to sit around. Nope. You don't like to sit still. You need a project to keep you sane. Yeah. And they make me insane too. You know, it ended up being a ton of work and there were spreadsheets and people were dropping out of scenes at the last minute and trying to reassign them, things right. like that, which is aggravating, but it's still better than not having something to do. Right. And I would imagine it's, it's a world that you're somewhat familiar with as an independent contractor, independent filmmaker, that sort of madness is the the water that you swim in and the air you breathe. Yeah. And that was part of why we gave everybody only a week to do their scene is because, you know, one of the things I love doing the most as a filmmaker is these 48 hour and 72 hour film competitions. Uh Well, every short film I've done has been for one of those. And so I've done a lot of them and I think they're, just one of the best ways to stretch your creativity because there's so many limitations you have, you know, Thursday night you get a concept and by Sunday you have a film and whether it's good or bad or whatever, you finish something and you've done something. And I think that's a really important thing for creative people um, is to not worry about making things perfect That was another big thing with the Back to the Future project. I think, you know, perfect is the enemy of good, right? Right. If you wait for everything to be perfect, you're going to miss out on making something good every day. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of filmmakers who have been working on that first feature script for years and years and years, waiting for it to be perfect. And it's like, well, maybe that one's not going to be perfect. Either make it or make something else that's going to be fun and good. And I think that's the beauty of the Back to the Future thing is that none of it's perfect. (laughs) Some of it's awful. (laughs) But that's what makes it good. That's why it's awesome, yeah. That's why it's good, and that's the fun of it. And maybe we don't need to take ourselves so seriously when we're just trying to be creative or 
do something in My, what's otherwise a very difficult, challenging time. I think you said in your conversation with Todd Luby, the Ben Film Executive Director, that you originally thought about giving people a month, and then you were just like, "Like, no, what? It needs to yeah. be. It, we just need to get this, make it happen." Yeah, and that was that was my wife's idea. Also, she okay. she talked me out of giving everyone a month um, because she knew that it would make me crazy for a full month waiting for all these things. And then also, <laughs> you know, it's it's like we were saying, if you give people too much time, they're going to worry about making it right. perfect or trying to do this, or they'll put it off to the last minute and only spend two days on it anyway. Right. So, what's the point? Right. And also, I had no idea how long any of this is going to last. I still don't. No one does. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure we had it out for people to watch while we're still stuck at home. I think that was right. Right. The other side of the coin. It's fun to make, but it's also a silly thing that people can watch, you know, at home and laugh and forget about yeah. what's going on in the world. When it really seemed to strike a chord, like – looking at the conversations in the Facebook page, people are like, what are we making next? Like that was incredible. Let's make another movie. And you're like, no, not yet. <laughs> like I haven't recovered from that one, but yeah, it really I, seemed to strike a chord. People were just like, this was amazing. Let's keep going. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, that was one of the best parts about it is people would finish their scene and send it in. And they'd send these emails or these messages that would say like, oh my God, this was the best part of my whole week. It was the, the only real joyful thing my family got to do during this crazy time. We didn't have to worry about homeschool or, you know, watching the news or social distancing or yeah. all that. We got to just recreate a scene from a very fun movie. And every hour I think that people spent on that was an hour of joy where they weren't doing these other things. And we got so many thank yous and so many just people that were really emotional about it, that that was, that was it for me. I was like, this has been a very yeah. successful project, whether anybody ever sees it or not. Cause I still don't know whether YouTube is going to yank it down for copyright, <laughs> you know, any minute, but that yeah. doesn't matter. We, we made it, we did it. And it yeah. was fun. And that's why people are so anxious to do it again. Yeah. Because if they're not doing it, then they got to worry about real life. Right. And right now there isn't, there aren't many escapes available from real life. Yeah. I mean, I know you, you hit a nerve with me when you talk about, you know, the way it, it, it gave people an outlet to get away from trying to homeschool their kids and that sort of thing. Because I mean, the scene I did was with my daughters and man, the homeschool thing is just, it's, I can't, I can't wrap my head around all the stuff that they want us to do yeah. for homeschooling. And yet this was, I think it's a great lesson in teaching your kids. Like, I don't know, just go make something doesn't yeah. matter what you're what you're interested in what how quirky it may be how offbeat how weird like whatever go yeah. make something and put it out in the world and 
Yeah. Take lessons. I love seeing that. I love, we had so many kids work on it and not just, you know, acting out scenes, but there were kids running cameras for the first time and editing for the first time and, you know, making props and trying to figure out, and kids are more creative than we are. Let's be honest. You know, I had a lot of filmmakers that worked on it that I know that make films for a living and they're like, you gave me this scene and I couldn't figure out how to do any of these stuff is crazy. And then I asked my kid who's like five and well, he was like, Oh no, dad, we'll make the thing out of this and we'll, that'll be a fire truck and don't worry about it. And it's like, <laughs> that's fantastic. And yeah. it, it is a unique thing to the kind of the filmmaking process too. It's very, it pulls from all kinds of creativity because you're making props right. and you're, filming shots and you're making music and you're editing and all these things. It's a, it's a mixed media. So I think there's something for everybody in the process. Well, and I think of in conversation um, recently with Falk, he was saying, you know, it's a, it takes a family like a, to make a movie, any film, it's a family. And and, you know, this was an example of quite literally people <laughs> making family. a movie with their families, their two-year-old, their five-year-old, their 10-year-old, and the kids, like you said, the kids are the ones coming up with these awesome creative ideas, of how to do a thing. And, yeah. And, and also they're learning, you know, probably for some of these kids, they're learning what mom and dad do professionally or semi-professionally or as in something they're passionate about. Yeah. I just, I wonder, it gets me thinking 10 years from now, 15 years from now, there's going to be some filmmaker who's like, Oh yeah, it all started for me doing that crazy remake of back to the future back in the day. That would be the best. That would be the best case scenario. If if in 10, 15 years, there's a, an interview on a red carpet with somebody who just directed this amazing movie that the whole world's talking about. And they ask him how they got their start. And, well, you know, my, my dad asked me to figure out how to shoot this scene for this back to the future project. And, you know, we were all locked down, so I couldn't go play outside with my friends. So I said, why not? Yeah. That would be, that would be great. But <laughs> That, even if that doesn't happen, I feel like it was already yeah, yeah. worth it. It was a good thing to yep. put out in the world. And I would love for someone else to do one right now. It's just, it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. So I can't, <laughs> I do As, still have to finish the blockbuster movie. Right, right. Before we can show it in July. Right. <laughs> uh, well, and it makes me think about, it gets me thinking just with my girls, like who says we couldn't just come up with a, with an idea for some little short film to make ourselves. Of course. And so, yeah, it, it sparks that sparks that thought process. Yeah. It did that for me too. I did my scene out of cardboard because that's what I had. I was right. getting boxes here for to ship orders for movies. So I had all these boxes and I did it and it was a lot of work. Stop motion is a lot of tedious time consuming work, but 
it also got me thinking about scripts I've had where I was like, well, I can't make that because we don't have, you know, a castle or a dragon or a, right. this one needs a Ferrari and I can't rent a Ferrari, but why not take those scripts and just make, you know, make it out of Tupperware and hot glue and yeah. yarn. Who cares? <laughs> it's all just storytelling and it doesn't matter. It all comes back to that. The perfect being the enemy of the good. Yeah. And if you wait for things to be perfect, I think they may never happen. Yeah. And how many projects, like you just said, how many projects never, people never even attempt them because yeah. they're like, Oh, I don't have what I, I don't have what I need to make it. Right. So you many just, filmmakers are like, I don't have that, that amazing camera or I don't have, you know, Hollywood actors. So I'm not going to yeah. make it. And, you know, that's great. And if you hold out, maybe you will make an amazing film. But you look yeah. at, you know, the Kevin Smiths and the Robert Rodriguez and the Quentin Tarantinos, they didn't wait. You know, they yeah. put it on credit cards and shot it on 16 millimeter and put out a movie. And it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that, is that your, is that your, um, yeah, when you when you lay there at night and you're like, you know, maybe one day that'll be how it works out for you. No, I think <laughs> those times are over. Yeah. Um, it's become a little bit too easy to make a film. Uh -huh. So there are tens of thousands of independent films being made every year. Whereas in the 90s, when the indie film boom happened, it was harder. You had to take more of a risk uh -huh. you had to put 30 grand on a credit card to make a film because film costs so much. Right. Even if you could get all your friends to help you for free, it costs something to make a movie. And now you can do that same thing on your cell phone that you already have. And people kind of take that for granted. So it's not as impressive to make a movie anymore. You have to make a really good movie to break through. You can't just be like, hey, guys, I made a movie. Aren't you impressed? And right. no one's impressed. Right. So, um, so I'm very happy at the level I'm at because I make content for specific people. And I made a ska music documentary. I'm a ska musician. I know ska musicians. I know ska fans. Most people don't. But for the people who love it, they're very grateful that there's a movie that somebody right. made about that thing. And I think the blockbuster one is going to have that same kind of connection with certain people who loved renting movies. And mm -hmm. now there's a movie for them about that thing. And so I think it's not, for me, it's not about becoming mainstream or, or having a, making an indie movie and having it be a huge hit, like a Napoleon Dynamite or a Juno or Clerks or whatever. I don't necessarily think that can happen again. I think we're, we're past right. that. But if I can make a living and make the movies I want to make and the audience finds them, you know, the people, right. I get messages every day, even from my first movie still, Somebody's like, oh man, that was my favorite band. And I love this movie. It's my new favorite movie. 
every movie is somebody's favorite movie and somebody's least favorite movie, you know, whether it makes a lot of money or not. So if I can keep making movies that resonate with somebody, then that's a success. It doesn't have to be, you know, this big hit or make a million dollars. That'd be nice, but I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath. So keep making movies that resonate with someone out there. Yeah. And for me, it's like I make things that resonate with me. Mm-hmm. And if somebody likes a movie that I made, then we have a lot in common because I also like that movie that I made. So, you know, when I hear from people who liked a movie that I put out, I'm like, great, we're probably friends. Let's hang right. out. You know, we have an instant connection and that you don't get that when you make Iron Man or Star Wars because everybody likes it. Yeah. <laughs> Even with Back to the Future too. It's a, a huge variety of people that like that project that we just did. And some of them, we could be best friends. Some of them, we have nothing in common and that's fine. That's great. We made that for a different reason. Right. Yeah. So making, making something that you love and then when other people tell you that they loved it too, like that, that is what satisfies your creative, your soul, your passion. And the theatrical experience, the film festival experience, Mm -hmm. seeing something. There is no better feeling as a filmmaker than putting a movie up on a screen and there's a full theater full of people and they're laughing at all the jokes and they're clapping at these parts. And it's, it's just incredibly rewarding as a creator. And I think that's unique to film, you know, as a musician, you get a similar thing but you're up on stage. You're not experiencing it with them. Right. Right. Disconnect. Right. You're singing to them and they're dancing or singing back to you. Whereas with a movie, you make it, you put it up on the screen and then you get to sit with the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Experience them experiencing it. So that's, that's incredible. And I'll keep making films or, you know, shorts or whatever, as long as there's film festivals and there's theaters, I'll keep making it because that feeling is, is like a drug. It's like, wow. You know, you're yeah. always chasing yeah. that next thing. And that's, that's why I love film festivals and, you know, just showing things in theaters and getting a live audience together. And that's, I hope that doesn't go away. A lot of film festivals have been canceled or postponed and we had the blockbuster movie applied to several film festivals that are no longer happening. And I don't know what that means. Yeah. Uh, we just, you don't hear anything and they're, they have bigger problems, <laughs> but it's, scary. yeah. I mean, I know like with the Ben film fest being on the board of the film fest, we talk about, and Todd has been the, driving force for a lot of this, but making it a virtual thing, any, anything we can do to keep some semblance of the film fest happening. But do you see, you know, again, once we get past this pandemic shutdown stuff, do you see 
I wonder if you see the the rise of the film fest as kind of the the new the new um the new place for people to do have that communal experience if 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 actual movie theaters just aren't there like they were before yeah. is the film fest the new the new version of that yeah i mean i think if if you know regal cinemas goes out of business but film festivals manage to hang on it would be an amazing boom for the film festival because whether people know it or not, they would miss going to the movies. You know, right. it, people miss drive-in theaters now. People miss Blockbuster. I hear it every day. Right. And you, you can call it progress or we're moving on or tastes are changing and everything's going to be on a phone now or whatever, but there's always going to be people who miss that experience. Yeah. I think of the communal you know, enjoyment of something of art, right? Like Mm -hmm. what if there weren't museums anymore? That'd be crazy. Right. And movie theaters are the museums of movies (laughs) and film festivals. Right. It's the only public place where you can all get together and enjoy this piece of art. And whether it's the fast and the furious movie and it's art or whether it's the film festival and it's actual art, (laughs) It, it doesn't matter. But I think it would be, I I can't imagine a world where we don't have movie theaters and we don't have that experience. But if it was just film festivals, yeah, there'd be a huge boom because you'd see people who had never thought about going to a film festival who just miss going to a movie theater. Right. And you say, Hey, we've got this indie film from Canada that you really got to check out. And they're like, great. I don't care. Where's the popcorn? Right. Let right. me get in a room with people and enjoy a thing. And so maybe, be- maybe that becomes even more communal. Like people then hang out afterwards and talk about the movie. And yeah, I wonder if that will even, even for regular movie theaters, wonder if that will become more of a thing where people, want to enhance the communal aspect. They want to stay. They want to talk. They want to share what they just saw. For sure. I think that as an indie filmmaker, that's something like that I offer. When I show a movie that I made, I try to be there and talk to people afterwards and do a QA. and yeah. um, With the Ska movie, like I said, we did 60 theaters all around the world. And I couldn't go to all of them, but we always had someone from the movie there we had an after party with a dj or a band playing or something that made it an event and i think that's a huge thing a thing that independent film can do that hollywood can't really do right you can offer something different something more that makes it more of an experience a communal event and i'm a huge proponent of that because that's that's the point I want to talk to people about movies after I see them. How many times have you left a movie theater and you're walking back to your car and all you want to do is talk to the person you were there with. Oh, what about that part? And what about that scene where that guy jumped off that thing onto that other thing? That's crazy. And why, how come her hair was different in that one scene? What did that mean? Like that, that's part of movies. And we're losing that if everybody just watches 
something on Netflix and then post about it on Facebook, it's, there's still a community aspect, but it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor, thank you, man. I, we've now been talking for just over an hour and I feel like I could just keep rambling on with you about all of this, but I love what you've said about, about what, what makes you do this like that? That is, that's what I wanted to get some insight into. And now I know a little bit about how Taylor's mind works. <laughs> I have to, I have to make stuff. I've made that Yoda out of clay because I was uh, bored one day and wanted to see if I could make something out of clay. But that's, a, that's exactly it. I can't, can't not make stuff. And I don't understand how people can. <laughs> Well, uh, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for having me on. I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up. Thank you. Thanks again for making time to do this. I'm sure, I'm sure you're still trying to finish editing your other, you're you're trying to finish editing the blockbuster project and you're probably still recovering from uh, project 88. So still doing press for it. Still pushing it out there. I think we have like 60,000 views so far. That's incredible. We'll figure it out. That's crazy. Anyway, thanks again, Taylor. And yeah, let's catch up after let's catch up in person after all this madness is over. Get together. Let's go to the movies. Yes. Talk about what we see. Love it. (laughs) All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon, man. Be well. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks for joining us. The Call to Create with host Charlie Teal is presented by Ghost Village Films and captured at Open Space Event Studio in Bend, Oregon. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube, iTunes, or your favorite listening platform. 